It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes to. And the Oscar to... goes to. Gentlemen. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. I loathe you. I, I, I love you. I did as you saw. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight, Best Picture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. This is episode 62. And as always, I am your host, Matt Neglia. Joining me today, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, listeners. Mr. Will Mavity. Hello, listeners. And we are pretty proud to announce officially on this episode, episode 62, dated October 29th, 2017, that the latest addition to the podcast, a voice you will be hearing, hopefully for a long, long time. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Deanne Kiazese. Wow, I don't even... Know what to say to that? I keep waiting for you to figure out that I'm a fraud, but you just keep inviting me back. So here we go. Mind you, I have the ability to let you go at any time. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> so, uh, everyone, I can't say gentleman anymore. I, if anything, it's gentleman and lady. Uh, I'm also going to have to try to get over saying the word guys, I, I suppose. So, everyone, let's stick with that right now. Uh, everyone, we have a lot to talk about this week. We've got last week's poll to discuss. We have a new poll this week, which is going to center around the Oscars and also with horror, because this week is Halloween. Yay! Spooky. Boo, yeah. What's everyone dressing as? I don't dress uh, up anymore. I'm not 12 anymore, so. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Michael are the two boring ones. <laughs> Oh, Deanna, are you dressing up? I'm not dressing up, no. But I, if I was, you know, there's that whole uh, sexy 11 costume from Stranger Things that's getting all that buzz on Twitter. That's so deeply uncomfortable for me, that concept. Jesus Christ. So that's where you're going as well, right? Yeah, 100%, man. It was either that or... I mean, you guys have the same hair. It would make sense. Yeah, yeah sexy Jacob Tremblay in room, maybe. Oh, you know? <laughs> There's a lot of potential ways we could take this. Uh, Speaking of uh, Jacob Tremblay for a minute here, uh, I don't know how or why I came across the trailer this week for uh, Wonder, but that looks like the most manipulative movie I think I will see a trailer for this year. Probably. I think it looks wonderful. Uh, Was that an intentional pun, Mike? God damn it. Yes, very much intended. I am really tired of the amount of times uh, the word wonder is being used in a movie title this year. I want to just throw that what, out there. What, six? Uh, it's wonder, wonder wheel, wonder struck, wonder woman. And Professor Marston in the Wonder Women. Yes. I wonder why. Ah! God damn it. Ah! 
We also have uh, the trailer for Phantom Thread to discuss this week, the long-awaited trailer. Now the only one that we're kind of waiting on at this point is The Post, which we did hear some unofficial official, I'm not really sure, news about it this week. So let's start off with that first right away. Um, The rumors coming out, and they are rumors. Let's take this with a grain of salt, people, but it's the only thing we have to go on right now is that the post screened for a few select critics and they were not too impressed with it. Okay, where are we hearing this from? Who are these critics? What's going on here? Because I'm not buying this just yet. So, and I did talk to someone who claims that they've heard that there was a screening, that it got, you know, good, if not spectacular reactions, and that there's a rival publicist who's out uh, trying to smear the film before it comes out. So... Who knows? There could be a lot of things going on here. I I kind of hope, as we've discussed off-air, much to Michael's chagrin, I kind of hope the film does disappoint, because right now it seems like such an obvious Best Picture frontrunner, and if it turns out to disappoint, then we truly have a wide-open season, and I love a wide-open season. But it's not an open frontrunner. It's a December release that's still being edited, apparently, or being worked on. That's, like, not a sign that we've seen in the last 15 years or so. But it's 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 politically timely. It's Steven fucking Spielberg. Who hasn't won in 20 years. It's Meryl Streep, who won recently. It's Tom Hanks, an insane ensemble cast. I mean, and, and they like Spielberg. They just need the right opportunity to award him or his film again. I mean, how does... It's, it's what most people have predicted for the last nine months to win. It's been everyone's de facto frontrunner basically since the Moonlight and La La Land fiasco. You know, like... I'm actually going to call a little bit of bullshit on that, only because you're right. Early on in the season, nine months ago, especially when the project was first announced, this was our winner. Now that other films have screened since then, things like Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Shape of Water, Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri... Call me by your name, even. People are starting to now spread their choices out. And I don't think the post is leading anymore. There are still some people that are hanging on to it that think that the timely subject matter could um, come through. Meryl Streep could win. The screenplay could win. Spielberg, even. Who knows? But I don't think it's the runaway front runner. And I think that even if it does land um, well, or at least let's just say well enough, my hunch is that it's going to be uh, Les Miserables of this season where some people think it's fantastic. It does respect, uh, respectable reviews with uh, critics. It gets a couple of awards, nominations, maybe even a few wins, but it's not the ultimate contender that we really, really thought it was probably. And see, I'd be okay with that too. That's a great comparison too. Cause I remember around this time in Les Mis people, you know, that was one of the last unseen films and people are like, oh yeah, when it comes out, it's, it's going to become our best picture front runner. Guilty. <laughs> yeah. I, of course you were, Mike. <laughs> I'm glad the fields opening up, you know, with, uh, things like three billboards and call me by your name. But, uh, the thing I will say again is still none of them feel like the best picture winner. The closest we have to that is Call Me By Your Name. Let's also be very, very clear on something here. Only one of us in this room has seen all of these films. And I'm telling you right now, I believe, 
of all the films that have been released so far, other than the ones I have not seen, Phantom Thread and The Post, I am telling you right now, the following films could win Best Picture, and it is Three Billboards, The Shape of Water, Darkest Hour, and possibly, maybe, maybe Dunkirk. So you don't think Call Me By Your Name even has a chance? I don't because I I think they are going to see the adapted screenplay win as a way to reward the film enough. See, that's interesting to me because a year after the Moonlight win, I feel like they might be willing to go for these stories that the Academy would sort of stay away from in the past. But the thing about the films that I mentioned, those films have a potential chance to win at a minimum three Oscars. Call Me By Your Name only stands a chance to possibly win for screenplay and then picture. Like Spotlight. But this is not Spotlight. Well, what does that mean it's not Spotlight? Based on buzz and its competition is what I'm is what I'm saying. I'm not saying in terms of content or quality even. I'm talking about its place in the race. <laughs> place in the race. <laughs> that rolled off the tongue nicely. I can see what you're saying, Michael. It's because I also think not, not only because of Moonlight Wind, but you also have more independent um, film people voting this year. So I think that could also play into a movie like Call Me By Your Name making it in. Right. Well, it's going to make it in, but it ain't going to win Best Picture. I'm telling you right now. I don't know. I really don't. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, nobody really knows, but I, I'm i pretty I sure. I think discounted <laughs> at this point. Oh, and I, let, let's go ahead and timestamp this. Just a reminder, I told Matt back in, uh, like, September 14th that uh, Three Bullboards could be our Best Picture frontrunner, and he thought I was crazy. So. I think he cut it out of the podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. I remember what I did cut out of the podcast was uh, Will predicting it was going to win the audience award. <laughs> I think God I have a screenshot somewhere on my phone of me sending Matt a tweet saying, hey, this Three Billboards thing is really picking up. Maybe it could be our Best Picture winner. And he sends me back message in big capital letters saying, nope. <laughs> well, guess what? As of as of October 29th, 2017, I have three billboards predicted to win Best Picture as well as Best Original Screenplay. Um, <laughs> so oh, They all come flocking home. I feel they? so vindicated. Yeah, same. He sent me a, a, a tweet going, uh, don't you see he'll never go for it like that? This makes me feel so vindicated, Matt. But once again, though, this is before I actually saw the film. And just like you guys right now making your proclamations, you guys haven't seen the films yet. And until you do, then you'll know and you'll be more sure. I guess I sounded I guess I sounded pretty sure before, too, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Liam Neeson's going to win his Oscar for silence. Ah! Hey, we I mean, all in, in thought that was defense. happening. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people thought that was going to happen, Mike. You know, like, that was not just him in denial. I got to ask this question right now, because here's the thing. If you pick a three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri to win Best Picture, are you going to predict a split in Best Director? Yeah, yeah. because we've seen it happen so many times recently that it's not really a rare thing anymore. I agree, and there's no major frontrunner, so I think they'll split it. Plus, it seems like Christopher Nolan, bearing any weird things happening... Like, that seems like he's destined to win Best Director, while the movie itself doesn't seem like it's out ahead in Best Picture. You have to look at it as two different categories. I know they used to be tied together, but since, like, 2012, that hasn't been the case anymore. I'm wondering if we're on track to have Christopher Nolan win 
um, Golden Globe, BAFTA, a bunch of critics awards, and then out of nowhere, Martin McDonough seemingly just wins the DGA. And it's like, oh my god, is this reflective of the film winning Best Picture, or is Martin McDonough really our Best Director winner? Well, how flashy is the direction? I've heard there's some long takes. You know, is it is it Tom McCarthy in Spotlight, or is it... Well, here's the thing. I think that in the 90s, especially, this is the kind of film that wins director and picture. The thing with 2017 right now is that they seem to want to give best director to the greatest technical achievement of the year. And this is not that. What this is, is this is confident, assured, perfectly paced storytelling from a guy that is completely in control of how to frame the camera, uh, composition, lighting, how to direct his actors. The movie has such a perfect flow to it that it's really, really difficult to find a single false note in in the film. The only thing I take issue with is I wonder how many voters are going to go for it because of its dark humor at times, you know, an N word here, a C word there, et cetera, et cetera. And who's going to, you know, be comfortable with rewarding something like that? You know, that's that vulgar. So that's the only thing I could ever see anybody saying, uh, you know, I didn't really like that film. You know, other than that. Yeah, I could see a scenario where he goes all the way with it because it's the kind of direction like McCarthy, like you're saying, Will, confident, assured, steady, doesn't call attention to itself, but it results in a very, very, very um, audience-friendly film that is truly a crowd pleaser. There are moments, I guarantee you guys, when you guys see this film, your audience will clap and cheer and gasp and go nuts. Even if you're the only one in the theater, apparently. <laughs> so that that's the pathway I say. But but Christopher Nolan and Guillermo del Toro, they're basically uh, George Miller and Alejandro Gonzalez and Yari too. All right. Well, so Michael, I'm still curious about this. Obviously, it's hard for us to gauge because we haven't seen it. But the only thing. I could see from what I've heard about three billboards and Matt says this isn't a factor. You still agree with this. Um, I am afraid that the film, if it becomes the de facto front runner, the internet could end up building a narrative against it, focusing on the fact that it's like an Irish white dude tackling sexual violence and issues of race. Could anybody try to stamp this as a white savior movie? I think they'd just be looking for attention, to be perfectly honest. I'm just saying the internet is powerful. I mean, could that narrative be formed, Matt? I think we can all widely agree that the internet loves Imbruges. Am I right? Do they? Imbruges came out in 2008. It was a different time. I'm saying the internet now. If you poll people and you ask them, do you guys love Imbruges, what do you think they'll say? I think yeah. a fair amount likes it. I mean, it has decent reviews. Okay, this is better than in Bruges. I mean, but that doesn't change the fact that it could be victim to one... You know, like, it's it, it will, Every film will have its detractors. Every season, it will always happen, even if it's something seemingly perfect. Remember Lincoln, when people tried to call out, like, its historical inaccuracies, and they tried to do smear campaigns? Like... 
these people will exist no matter what year, no matter what film. The question is how much noise can they truly, truly make? And I think with this film, I just have this very, very big feeling it will have the least amount of detractors. Well, so Rockwell's getting a ton of attention. So I'm kind of curious, just being the one that's seen it, Matt, is his arc, I mean, my understanding is he's a little bit morally ambiguous, right? Or is he kind of representing the audience in some ways or uh, to kind of speak to Will's question? His character is one that undergoes uh, an arc that signifies the theme of the film, which is that we are a hateful, angry people and we need to understand love and forgiveness and change in order to make the world a better place. I think that he perfectly symbolizes that, and it is part of the reason why, uh, in talking about the two acting categories, the reason I have like three billboards winning picture and screenplay signifies to me, I really think Rockwell or McDormand, I think I need to switch for one of them to go along for the ride at this point. But the problem I'm having is, I've got Margot Robbie winning Best Actress for I, Tanya, and in Supporting Actor, I have Willem Dafoe for The Florida Project, and that's kind of like, you know, you have Rockwell with the established character actor career versus the Willem Dafoe established character actor career, and it's just going to come down to which character does the audience like more, and both of them are very, very, very likable in two passionately loved films. So that's really tough. So why do you have Margot Robbie winning for such an unlikable character, whereas this Frances McDormand character apparently steals the entire movie? She's like the front and center the entire time. Uh, It really comes down to winning your second Oscar and how your second Oscar traditionally needs to eclipse your first win. And that's pretty hard to do with Marge Gunderson and Fargo, I would say. Not to mention Margot Robbie is someone that I feel like they're just dying to want a reward. She fits the ingenue role. And by all accounts, uh, I haven't seen Itania, but from every single person I've talked to that has seen it, they say that she is quite spectacular in it. And it is an Oscar winning performance. Whether they think it will happen or not is up to debate, but they agree that it can win. Maybe. I mean, I just don't know how eager they are to reward her or not because she's never been nominated before. Yeah, but she fits the profile of the the classic young, attractive uh, starlet of the now that they tend to go with in this category. You know, she Margot Robbie has never been nominated, but in a lot of ways she is the it girl. I mean, Brie Larson was in it was playing a more academy friendly character, but that was her first nomination in a big best picture front runner. I Tanya could really get a couple of nominations. We're talking like five nominations. I potentially. agree. I think it gets in for picture, actress, makeup, editing. You know, uh, supporting actress. I mean, I think it does show up in a number of places, Mike. I don't think yeah. this is just going to be a Margaret Robbie nomination. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I agree. I do. I have it in my best picture, editing, makeup, all that. I just question if it's going to be the thing that wins, if we're maybe jumping the gun here. Well, you know, and granted, I, I haven't seen the film, like I said before. It, it, it comes down to, once again, just you have to weigh out not based on performance because we all we all know this is not uh, objective we all know this is all subjective politics game that gets played here you have to weigh out which which factor is stronger is it the ingenue 
or is it the uh, lead actress performance in what is possibly the best picture front runner? And then that's how I feel kind of with Rockwell and Defoe. You know, it's the, you know, Defoe's got a couple of years on Rockwell, so this might be the only chance to do it for him. You know, and it kind of makes me think about uh, Stallone uh, a couple years ago. Like this, this could be our, this could be our last shot. This could be the only chance we have to do this. You know, for Defoe, because when was his previous nomination before this? Uh, Dracula. Yeah, Shadow of the Vampire in two thousand. Oh, Shadow of the Vampire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I was thinking of a Bram Stoker's Dracula for some reason. They're both uh, vampires. Yeah, I suppose. But in any event, though, uh, you know, who knows when he'll get another chance to come back? Rockwell. Same thing in a way. We've been trying to get Rockwell nominated for since since Moon. Remember when the internet tried to make conviction happen? Yeah. That was close for a while. That was really almost the thing. So I mean that that's a coin flip, you know, because the reasons why one could win over the other are equally as strong. And I feel the same way about actress too. Yeah, obviously I haven't seen three billboards yet, but having just seen the Florida project this weekend, I think Defoe can win. But I don't think it's like some big lock or anything like that. This is going to be more like the Mahershala Ali versus Dev Patel type of thing. You know, uh, I, I could see that comparison. Now, Deanne, you weren't the biggest fan of the Florida Project. Oh, I knew you were going to bring that up. Yeah, um, I wasn't. I, I I appreciate the movie. I think there's a lot there. I think Defoe was the best part. And I mean, if we're talking about kind of interesting character arc, especially in a category that's going to be so dominated by white males, I mean, at least his character in that film, I think sort of represented a little bit of the powerlessness of everybody around situations and what it, you know, to try and attempt to help and what that means. So, I I mean, I think that there's enough there with that character that I could see that pulling through. Um, But as far as the movie as a whole, I did have a really hard time with it. I've had a hard time with some of the dialogue around um, kind of feeling like I have to like it or I have to appreciate those characters and some of their personality traits because of the situation they're in. And although I have nothing but empathy for the characters in the film, I still think there's some behaviors that I just can't get behind. So <laughs> that's my opinion. Yeah. Well, you're not alone in that. I have seen similar sentiments since this movie went into wider release. I'm one of them. <laughs> I, lo- I think the movie's excellent. I think it is incredibly well done, but I would never want to see it again just because the the rea- reaction I had watching it yeah. really upset me so much. I'm the same way. I will say, though, as great as I think it is, I am not necessarily a fan of the ending. What? Yeah. Well, I, wait, you know, what? I think it sugarcoats a situation and adds a level of fantasy that the movie can't really pick what side it wants to be on. Oh, what? I think it is sort of irresponsible to end on the note that it ends on. That said, everything before it, I think, is uh, unique and as upsetting as it needs to be. I'm not going to say what it is, but the stuff that starts happening right before the final shot, what leads to it, I kept waiting the whole movie for that to actually happen, and I wanted to see it, more of that developed, and just have the ending that I think we all needed to see. If that makes me a heartless monster, so be it. I have a fan question here, and this comes uh, right off the heels of talking about the Florida Project. This is from... Blake Bell writer. Uh, and the question is, do we know or do we figure if Brooklyn Prince is going to be uh, in Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, and what ultimately goes into this decision-making process? Can we give a little insight into that? Well, she's definitely lead. It's been confirmed. 
Yeah, A24 confirmed it this week. Now, what what determines that? The publicists and the campaigners and maybe Brooklyn's team. And I also understand they have to get the actor's permission. She's six, six or seven, I think. Uh, I'm just saying, like, yeah, I remember yeah, when I, Viola I, Davis I last year, it was a question of whether or not she would go lead or supporting. And ultimately, the actor has the final decision on what what they want to do with it, essentially. Depends on the contract. Unless if you're Harvey Weinstein and you're like, you're going supporting, you know. Who? Viola had it in her contract. Not all actors have that in their contract that they get to decide category placement. She knew she'd contend for an Oscar and she had that written in from like weeks before the film, you know, went into production. So I doubt Brooklyn Prince had anyone put that in her contract. <laughs> let me let me look over the papers again, please. Yeah. <laughs> ah! I think putting her in lead, I think that hurts her chances. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. She's not going to get nominated now. If they had frauded her, she totally could have. And good for them. Which is a behavior we don't want to encourage. Yeah, I mean, good for them for being, you know, ethical and not putting a clearly lead performance in supporting just because it's a kid. You know, I would have complained about it if they had, but it is a shame. She's certainly not going to get nominated now. Um, For the record... I only have the Florida Project getting two nominations. I have it at number eight in my best picture predictions, and I have Willem Dafoe getting in. But I could very easily see a scenario where it does not even get into best picture, and Dafoe is the only nomination. Oh, definitely. There's a world, but I think it's uh, pretty secure in best picture if we keep doing the eight or nine best picture nominees again. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. Like, that movie's going to have its fans. It's going to stay with people for a very long time, whether or not they love it or if it just haunts them. So that leads me uh, to ask then, because we're dealing with at this point uh, something around, what, like 14 contenders for Best Picture. What is the one film that you do not have in your Best prediction, uh, best Picture predictions right now? Well, is that including like the 10th slot that we haven't really seen in the system? Sure, we, we could say that. Okay, well, right now I've got I, Tanya at number 10. So whether or not they decide to go that far, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I need to look at my predictions. I have I, Tanya getting in. Um, Here, I'm going to go down mine, and we could all sort of go with that, because it seems to be the same films for all of us. I have uh, three billboards, Call yep. Me By Your Name, yep. The Post. Yep. I know we're still waiting, but it's there. Shape of Water, Dunkirk, yep. Darkest Hour, Florida Project, Get Out, Lady nope. Bird, I, Tanya. Nope, I do not have Get Out getting in for anything other than screenplay. I think that's a little foolish. I... <laughs> I'm telling you right now, uh, if it gets in at the expense of things like Lady Bird, which is picking up a tremendous amount of steam and could be um, screenplay and Best Actress uh, nominations, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like the, the February release for Get Out makes it very easy for them to be like, all right, screenplay, we reward Jordan Peele, doesn't need picture. Just like... Best Picture winner, Silence of the Lambs, opened in February, too. Okay, you're comparing a, a winner in the top five categories with, with this movie, which is not going to stand a saying, chance to it, win anything. Stuff like this has happened before. Grand Budapest Hotel opened in March. Early movies can break in if they're good enough. And Universal has been excellent about keeping this movie at the forefront. They did a DVD release party at a, the Universal Studios lot in like the Desperate Housewives suburbia uh, filming lot. They have it at the Gotham's. It was one of the first screeners to come out. This movie has stayed in the conversation. I need more. 
And it's as socially relevant as you could possibly want. Have we all dropped Mudbound from our predictions? I got Mudbound at 11. I have Mudbound out of picture and only getting adapted screenplay. I have it in best picture. I don't have Lady Bird in. I actually have the big six still. I'm just, I don't know why, but I'm a believer. I think it's going to get a lot of Golden Globe attention. That's a good call. That is not out of the race. The big six is my number 10. I just feel like there's some stuff going on with Amazon right now that they won't be able to be on top of everything going on, especially with this harassment story. Yeah, they've lost like their two t- uh, film and TV execs, haven't they? Yeah. I feel good about the big sick, though, because I have it getting into screenplay and I have Holly Hunter getting in. But screenplay being the bloodbath that it is right now, I could easily see it missing screenplay and Holly Hunter maybe being the only nomination for it. But I, I can't see it being completely shut out. I still have Holly Hunter in there, but I was thinking about this the other day. You know who she sort of reminds me of in a weird way? All right, bear with me on this one. Hugh Grant and Florence Foster Jenkins. No! It's a performance that comes out in early summer. People love it, and the movie sort of catches them off guard. Big audience hit. And then people keep saying, oh, yeah, Holly Hunter, she was great in that performance. So, yeah, we, we can put her in the conversation. It feels like she was just sort of added in there than always been a part of it. And we just sort of take it for granted that on nomination day, her name doesn't pop up. I'm still sad about that. Yeah, me too. I loved Hugh Grant and Florence Frosted Jenkins. I liked him more than Streep, honestly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he was pra- he was literally the lead. He wasn't, I-, I don't think he was the supporting character at all in that movie. Oh, yeah, shameless category fraud. She obviously won't have any of that category fraud she's obviously supporting here. Yeah. But, I don't know, part of me feels like it might be a nomination people take for granted and that they just start writing in other names and then it doesn't happen. Let me tell you something about this category that is now firmly cemented into my mind, and that is that... Melissa Leo for Novitiate is a lock. As long as the movie stays in the conversation, because it did not do well this weekend. I understand that, but there is no way they're going to be able to turn this down. It actually was sold out in my theater last night. I was going to go ahead and see it so Matt and I could review it this morning, but I had to go see Thank You for Your Service instead, which was... uh... Probably not as... <laughs> that is not a lock in and... anything. No. <laughs> was your theater empty? <laughs> no, but I actually had some people walk out, which isn't great. Everything tanked this weekend. Suburbicon was the worst opening Paramount's ever had for a wide release. Wow. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It made $2 million. <laughs> when is George oh, Clooney going to learn that he's just better in front of the camera instead of behind oh. it? That tanked. Thank you for your service tank. That did just $3 million this weekend. Wow. Everything's bombing. I'm sure Jigsaw did pretty well. Yeah, but it's. I think it's going to be the lowest Saw opening in like 10 years, too. Good. Since that franchise started stagnating in the mid-2000s. Like, Good, it deserves it. They should never have even resurrected it from the ashes to begin with. <laughs> it's like, I thought, I thought we were beyond this. I thought we were done with this franchise. Nope. Well, let's just prove it. <laughs> it's just a brutal fall for the box office, honest. Oh, speaking of which, can we all agree Battle of the Sexes is done entirely, even including Stone? Since yes. It just, I mean, it's gone from $10 theaters. $10 million. I don't know what happened there. It's like people don't want to go to the movies anymore, it seems like. I am going to chalk it up to lack of promotion. No, that movie had a ton of commercials and they were doing talk shows and all of that. It's not just that. All these movies have been bombing and I think it's a bigger issue than the individual movies. We haven't had anything other than it. And Victoria and Abdul. 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, Mike makes a good point. I mean, that is like the indie, the sole true indie success story of the fall financially. I mean, but I don't think we've had anything other than it break a hundred million since like August, which is crazy. It's a really, really rough time, but you know, <sighs> just wait, guys, just wait. It, it, it's brighter on the other side when some of these Just films start releasing. Lady Bird's going to do $300 million. Yeah, watch. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling Lady Bird is going to be a big hit. I do have this feeling. Um, I have this feeling Lady Bird's going to be a big hit. I think Shape of Water is going to be a big hit. I think Three Billboards is easily a $40 million gross. You know, so I, I, I could definitely see some of these films uh, that are set to release, you know, they'll come out and they'll do very, very well. So... Uh, let's move over to a different category here. Uh, I want to also talk about the uh, best actor category. I just want to get everybody's uh, thoughts on that category at this time. This will take 10 seconds. So the question I have is, does everyone have Gary Oldman? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Does everyone have Timothy Chalamet? Yep. I do. Yes. Does everyone have Jake Gyllenhaal? No, I don't. I do. Yeah, I, I still do, but I could see him slipping out. Now, who would take his place? Well, keep reading the list, and I'll tell you who takes his place. Who has Tom Hanks in the post? I do. I'm a little hesitant, but I have him until we see the movie. Okay. Who has James Franco for the disaster artist? I do. Me. I do. Yes, I do as well. And who has Daniel Day-Lewis for Phantom Thread? Absolutely. I do. I do. Remember how, what was it, two weeks ago, a week ago, we were talking about how if this trailer didn't drop soon, I was ready to drop him? Yeah, talk about a comeback. I know. Although, I do have some thoughts, and I want to get to them. So, I thought this would be a great segue here to talk about the trailer for Phantom Threat. Really quick, though, who does Michael have if it's not Hall? I gotta know. Oh, I guess it's Hanks then. Hanks. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I don't feel good. I don't feel good about that. I, I really think, I, I truly am starting to believe that it's Oldman, Daniel Day-Lewis, Chalamet, Franco, and Gyllenhaal the whole way. But if Gyllenhaal does miss out because the film underperforms and Hanks doesn't get in because from what I've heard, you know, it's all the Streep story and this only gives him the opportunity to be, oh, Tom Hanks is a good guy, but not like a showy Captain Phillips type performance. Who gets the spot? Christian Bale. Yes. For Hostiles? Yes. That is the one performance that we have barely talked about at all that from everyone I know that has seen the film keeps saying that he is extraordinary. And it has a pretty nice slot. uh, Limited before Christmas, then it will go wide in January. The studio just had a big hit this summer with 47 meters down, so they're sort of starting their uh, engines here. We'll see. I'm not ready to discount him at all. Just like I'm not ready to discount Hugh Jackman for Logan. Uh, Moving on. Um, (laughs) All right. So the trailer for Phantom Thread dropped this week. It is the new Paul Thomas Anderson film, and it stars Daniel Day-Lewis. Let's take a look at this one. You can sew almost anything into the canvas of a coat. When I was a boy, I started to hide things in the linings of the garments. Things that only I knew were there. Secrets. Good morning. 
Will you have dinner with me? Yes. I feel as if I've been looking for you for a very long time. You look beautiful. Very beautiful. I have things I want to do. Things I simply cannot do without you. Reynolds has made my dreams come true. And I have given him what he desires most in return. <laughs> Every piece of me.
Daniel Day-Lewis, you know what I mean? Uh, there's no differences in his voice. There's no heavy makeup work, no real physical transformation or anything like that. Yeah, this is Age of Innocence, Daniel Day-Lewis. Exactly. So You can see the heartbreak on his face. Yeah, but that kind of, for me, made me go, well, I don't think he's beating Oldman because there's nothing in this trailer that, from an Oscar bait perspective, tells me that he's the winner. Oh, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, well, I never really saw him as a threat to win. Yeah, I, I never saw him as the winner. Will, you sound like you're probably, if anything, I, I think, and I, I could be wrong, I think you're the most divisive on this. No, I mean, I thought it looks great, too. I, I don't think he's going to be, uh, I don't think he's going to be for, in for anything more than nomination, but it's, it's a beautiful-looking trailer. You know, I, I didn't shit my pants over it. But I certainly enjoyed it. Sorry, I I have to ask this question, because you just made me uh, think of something here. Uh, Vicky Kreeps, am I saying this right? Kreeps. Kreeps, thank you. Kreeps. Actress or supporting actress? Lead. They announced she's in lead. Well, that's a bummer, because she would fit perfectly in the supporting actress spot uh, that we all seem to be disagreeing on right now. Maybe Leslie Manville could? Yeah, I have her in. It's very, very possible. She plays the sister. She only has like one or two lines in the trailer, but she is someone who has put in some time with this industry. She deserved a nomination for another year, but there was category confusion with that. Right. From uh, the House of Woodcock, as it's called, the fashion line here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson as a cinematographer. Do we see that happening? It's very hard for a director to get in for doing their own cinematography. In fact, it's never happened. It, it looks really great. But it's never happened. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to put money on him getting in. But, I mean, weirder things have happened. They've read the wrong envelope at the Oscars before. <laughs> so we have seen weird things happen. Should we be considering Johnny Greenwood for score? They must have something against him. Um, I'm very convinced they do. There will be blood. The master. Uh, come on. Well, there will be blood. I mean, just it was their weird eligibility rules. And then the master and... I mean, most of his scores are very, very far from what the music branch traditionally likes. And occasionally they'll get a Johan Johansson, Sicario, or uh, uh, Mr. Turner-style nomination in that category. But generally they like kind of straightforward, melodic things. I mean, they only nominated Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross once, even when they seem like a shoe in a second time around. Because they don't like, you know, experimental, uh, atmospheric scores. So here, it seems like he's doing something that's more of a straightforward, melodic work. And I think if there was ever a time when he is going to get in for a PTA movie, it could be now. On that note of straightforward... It's very interesting to me watching this trailer and seeing that it's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie because, as Deanne said, it seems very straightforward in the plot, but that's not something he's usually known for. Like He always has some sort of twist to what he's doing. Well, I think that Paul Thomas Anderson is um, somebody that does not have a style that we can pin down. He is a director that is influenced by many different styles. You know, we've seen the Robert Altman. We've seen the Martin Scorsese style. We've seen... um, the I, I don't know exactly which uh, style this is, but the the period epic, something like Giant, you know, with There Will Be Blood, and now it seems like we're seeing like the Merchant Ivory influence here. Yeah, but there's always a through line with somebody like a Scorsese. Like his movies are often about Catholic guilt at the end. Oh well, now you talk about themes and writing and stuff. I mean, that's totally different. I'm talking like aesthetically. Oh, well, aesthetically, yeah, they are different. But I always want to see like some sort of 
Paul Thomas Anderson touch within the content of it. And I couldn't really pick up what that was from this trailer here, which was unique. You mentioned Merchant Ivory, and this does seem like a Merchant Ivory production, but maybe like that type of story with needles pricking up from under, underneath the surface. His films are always in one way or another about surrogate families. You can find that in literally every single film he's done. So I bet you this one is probably also going to be about family in one way or another. And that's the time for another uh, podcast, but I had, to, I had to write like a 60-page paper on this once. So th- there is a consistent through line for Paul Thomas Anderson films, and when this comes out, it'll be interesting to see how it ties in, because I'd put money on the fact that it does again. And the buzz is saying that this is more of a wider audience type of fair, that, that it will be you know more kind of um, universally liked than some of his other stuff. Not like Inherent Vice. Yeah, I think it'll be a lot more accessible. Yeah, uh, unless if the film is, and I hate saying this, I really, really do, if it's boring. And not not much actually happens, like, from a a story perspective. Uh, You know what? There are some who think that The Master is a boring film. There are some who think that uh, There Will Be Blood is way too uh, slowly plotted. The only thing that saves it is Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean... It seems like in recent years, um, people just wanted him to go back to that like high octane energy that films like Boogie Nights and Magnolia had. But instead, I think he is stretching himself as an artist and as someone who is really playing around with different types of genres and really, really respecting uh, the films that have influenced him instead. I mean, Inherent Vice, for all of its faults is still a very, very watchable movie because of his use of the cinematic language and how interesting it is uh, for him, at least as an artist. So it's really, really tough to say if this is going to be like the breakout critical favorite of the year. Um, There might be some divisiveness in there. But with that said, I only have getting two nominations with Daniel Day-Lewis and the costumes which is why I wanted to go down the list and then lead it up to this. Can we see Paul Thomas Anderson getting nominations for picture, director, or screenplay with this? I don't think so. I Yeah, I don't see it. I still think there's enough there. It's going to be really late, and the movie's going to need to establish itself. Yeah, I don't see it. It's Daniel. It's Daniel's movie. Yeah. All right. Hey everyone, I'm Jason. And I'm Lee. And we are the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh, new releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me at film underscore faculty or Lee at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. All right, cool. All right, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Okay, let's move on now to the polls. Let's take a look at last week's poll. Last week's poll was asking everybody, which is the best film that deals with wartime? PTSD. Can anyone take a guess from the following choices? Which one? We had American Sniper, Best Years of Our Lives, Born on the Fourth of July, Brothers, Coming Home, The Deer Hunter, The Hurt Locker, First Blood, Jackknife, Jacob's Ladder, Taxi driver, and there was a write-in option. Anybody want to take a guess? The best years of our lives. No, you mentioned taxi driver. If we count that, this is totally taxi driver. Deanne? Uh, 
Uh, Deer Hunter or Hurt Locker. And the winner with 25.76% of the vote is the Deer Hunter. Oh, okay. In second place with 16.67%, it is Taxi Driver and tied for third place with 13.64, the Hurt Locker and the Best Years of Our Lives. Okay, so we placed the top three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I cannot argue with the Deer Hunter. That is a terrific ensemble. It's a great movie. And look, I'm glad the internet still remembers it. Even though it's the Best Picture winner, you don't hear people talking about it all the time. We had write-in options for uh, Return. I've never even heard of that. Uh, Apocalypse Now. We had a write-in option for Thank You for Your Service, even. <laughs> I, you know, so funny. I was just going to say, if Thank You for Your Service was in here, I don't think it would do very well, unfortunately. But I will say, in defense of the movie, something I know we talked about yesterday when we reviewed it, Matt, is that I do think that there's an interesting through line just about... Um, the you know government healthcare and the VA system that actually was interesting and unique and kind of different from all of those other movies that you just listed. One hundred percent agreed. How's Amy Schumer in it? No, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. It felt so out of place. Yeah, look, do, Matt, you got to do the impression again. Tell me how my husband died. <laughs> oh, it's one of those movies. It's such an. Oh, it's so mm. bad. Am I okay if I skip this one? Yeah, you're. You'll be okay if you skip this one, Michael. Um, I want to read the question one more time before I read the final write-in option. Which is the best film that deals with wartime PTSD? We had somebody write in and say the Emoji Movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be trolling, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. But I, I thought it was still funny regardless. Uh, now, <laughs> for this week's poll, in honor of Halloween, we are asking everyone, which is your favorite Oscar-winning horror film? And... To my knowledge, this is the complete list of all considered horror films that have won Oscars. It is Alien, Aliens, An American Werewolf in London, Beetlejuice, Black Swan, Bram Stoker's Dracula, The Exorcist, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, The Fly, Gaslight, Jaws, Jurassic Park, Misery, The Omen, the Phantom of the Opera, the original, not the Schumacher. <laughs> the Picture of Dorian Gray, Rebecca, Rosemary's Baby, The Silence of the Lambs, Sleepy Hollow, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, and finally, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? Some good movies on this list. Such, oh my god, it's such a good list. I had the hardest time selecting my choice because there was like 10 of them I could have picked. Uh, for me, it's my number one favorite horror film of all time. I, I have to go with The Exorcist. It was a tough call for me between two titles, but I ended up picking uh, The Silence of the Lambs over Rosemary's Baby. Oof, yeah, that is tough. Same. Yeah, I have a feeling that Silence of the Lambs is going to win it all. I just saw Silence last week on the big screen with a sold-out audience, and that movie is phenomenal those extreme close-ups are amazing that's what i call demi face because he does the same thing in uh philadelphia Mm -hmm. it's just so oh my god it's so unnerving i love it i i I saw it too on the big screen and those shots completely changed my whole perception of the film because it works so much better on the big screen than seeing it at home it was amazing what a great director he was he's so missed absolutely uh, the latest film on this list is Black Swan, which was seven years ago. That's crazy that it was seven yeah, years ago. Fuck, that feels old. Yeah, it leads me to wonder 
because we we we've had horror movies get nominated for certain things. Um, but it's very, very rare that they actually win Oscars due to genre biasness. Um, do we think we're getting closer at all anytime soon? I don't know. It could be 50 years of a horror best picture winner like Silence of the Lambs again. Let's see how they take to get out. I'm not at all implying it would win. There's no way it would win. But let's see if they're willing to nominate it for picture and screenplay and the editing or something you know if they are willing to embrace a film like that then yes i think we're on our way it would have to have a foot in reality like we're not talking halloween or anything like that but if there's a movie that's able to blend uh horror with real life sort of like get out does or silence of the lambs then that could be a good combination for oscar yeah, you have these smaller horror movies that have kind of been brewing lately in terms of critic popularity, like Babadook and It Follows and some of those that, um, you know, are a little more subtle. I could see something like that if done really, really well. I, Get Out's a little different to me just because it's kind of really got more of that comedy angle. Um, and so it, it, it almost kind of is in a class of its own, I think. It Comes at Night still stands as my favorite horror film of the year. And I think that actually kind of fits uh, Michael's description of mixing uh real world fears and horror you know what i mean with the genre pretty well like there are no zombies there are there is no fantastical element to it you know what i mean um god i wish that film was getting a lot more attention (laughs) hey and you know what this is an interesting thing to consider a year from now if we were to ask the same question what if by some strange circumstance it gets a nomination for makeup and ends up winning that would be an Oscar-winning horror movie. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, and I think I don't think anyone's beating Gary Oldman in that category. But oh no! I, I think it it's got a decent chance of nomination. Guys, like I, I I saw Darkest Hour this week, and I could not believe how well the makeup held up under uh, scrutiny with the extreme close-ups that they have on Oldman in that fo- in that film. Like if you watch something like J. Edgar compared to this, it's night and day. So it's better than Hopkins and Hitchcock. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. That wasn't that wasn't that good, Michael. I know it got nominated, but that the makeup was a joke. It was horrific. <laughs> okay, it was like silly putty and cat hair. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, and now, I, before we get over to uh, news of the week, I do want to read a review that somebody left us on iTunes. So I'm gonna just read that one aloud here. This is from Jared Kozel. It is rated five stars, and it says. Excellent year-round film reviews, Oscar talk, and GOT. Here's what he had to say. I discovered Next Best Picture back in March with their review of Logan, still one of my favorite films of 2017, and I've continued to listen ever since. Regular hosts, Matt Neglia, Will Mavity, and Michael Schwartz. I'll have to get him to change this uh, to add Deanne. Along with their fine and growing network of contributors, have only been podcasting at MPP for a little over a year, but they've already proven to be one of the most thoughtful, knowledgeable, and enthusiastic crews dedicated to analyzing the Academy Awards race. And they do so year-round for those of us who can't get enough. Their programming consists of weekly shows on Sunday, in which they break down the state of the Oscar race and the various contenders, discussing breaking news in the film world, talk about trailers for upcoming films, There's also a second show during the week in which Matt and a guest review one of the week's new releases, usually a potential awards contender or a high-profile blockbuster. 
In the second show, they discuss each film in detail, analyze its strengths, its weaknesses, and they weigh in on its potential Oscar prospects. On that front, I appreciate that they are quite knowledgeable about the -the below-the-line tech categories and don't give them the short shrift. And, as a Game of Thrones fanatic, I enjoyed their in-depth and enthusiastic coverage of Season 7 as well. All in all, NPP is one of the best entertainment podcasts out there, and I'd recommend it to anyone who loves the Oscars or film in general. Well, thank you. Yes, thank you, Jared. We like Jared. Thank you, Jared. That was very lovely. I feel so warm and gooey right now that I need to take a break. Will, (laughs) what news do we have this week? All right. So, David Sandberg, you know, who became semi-well-known for Lights Out and then Annabelle 2. Mike, did you end up seeing that? Annabelle 2? Yeah. Yeah, it was very entertaining. That was uh, the screenwriter is local. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought you saw it, and you did it too, right? Yes. So he's going to be directing a Shazam movie for DC, who shows no signs of giving up, despite the fact that Justice League is probably going to... Tank. Well, yeah. And uh, Zachary Levi from Chuck is going to be the lead. Um, you know, we talked a lot about, about a month ago whether Jeremy Renner could contend for Wind River. And then all this with Weinstein happened, and everyone's like, nope. So the question is now, Wind River has completely stripped Weinstein's logo from the film, and the Oscar campaign is going to be handled, handled by, I think, the Native, by the Native American tribe, who I believe lives in the Wind River Reservation. They're going to be funding the entire thing. So I doubt they're going to be able to pull off a great campaign, but it's nice that a film that's talking about the horror of sexual assault decided to distance itself from a situation that is all about sexual assault. So I'm not predicting it to get in, but if there's anything that can help the film's chances and Renner's chances, it would be that. I will say this. I am I am buying it on Blu-ray when it comes out because I can't wait to rewatch it again and hopefully appreciate it a little bit more because I know I was, uh, I, I was positive on it. I gave it a 7 out of 10, but uh, everybody raves about it to the point where it makes me wonder, hmm, do I need to give this a second look? So I'm, I'm happy to give it my money because I think Taylor Sheridan uh, is definitely an artistic talent, uh, still on the rise, hasn't quite found his stride just yet, uh, but he's got definitely some greats to come, I would say. Yeah, because this was kind of his branch from writing into directing, his first director piece. But um, I have a little bit of bias for it just because it was one of the first um, Park, stu- uh, Park City Studio release films. So all of, most of the filming was done here in my little hometown of Salt Lake City in Park City. So for that uh, reason... We have another Michael on the show. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so for that reason, I maybe have a little bit of bias, but um, I, I have it really high. I gave it an eight, and it's in my top ten at the moment. Okay, um... So then we have Michelle Pfeiffer apparently sings an original song for Murder on the Orient Express. Over the closing credits. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if she has a writer credit, but if she does, particularly with Coco having opened to good, but maybe not the rave reviews we expected, I don't think this film will be a big contender anywhere, but you never know if she got nominated for original song is that the weird-ass kind of original song winner you could get that ultimately becomes a way to reward an overdue actress like her? That would be so strange, but I don't think she does have the credit. I think yeah, she, just she may just like be Scarlett singing. Johansson did a few years ago with Chasing yeah, I, I figured, yeah. 
That is good news because she has a great singing voice, as proven in Fabulous Baker Boy. You know, if uh, they had expanded this song category just a few years earlier, too, we could have already had Glenn Close having won an Oscar now because Glenn Close did have a song credit for the song at the end of Albert Knobs. And, you know, in a year where they only had two nominees, they just nominated that song, and they could have given her the win for that, and boom, Glenn Close is an Oscar winner. But... Alas. Missed opportunities. Uh, Adam Driver is going to be the lead in Black Klansman, a film that uh, I work with the clients on, which is kind of... They're clients of ours who wrote the screenplay. Spike Lee's going to be directing it. Jordan Peele produces, so that's kind of cool. And Adam Dre, that's an interesting film. I believe it is a uh, Jewish gentleman and an African American gentleman who infiltrated the KKK in real life back in the 1960s. Sounds like a spiritual sequel to Marshall. Yeah, Marshall and Selma really explored the relationship between the Jewish and African American communities throughout the civil rights era. So I'm very interested to see what Spike does with this one. Uh, the 1517 to Paris, another one bites the dust, I guess, because that will not be coming out until uh, February. So if in the unlikely event you had it predicted anywhere, I think I had it, you know, as outside contender for the sounds and editing categories. Uh, you can take that out. I'm happy to hear that because I, I, I really do feel at this point, and this always happens every year. I, I feel like we get to a certain point where the bubble is about to burst in terms of how many Oscar contenders we can hold on to. You know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah. And Because hearts are going to be broken in terms of squeezing people in for nominations that are really well-deserved. And then all of a sudden something comes along and it's like, God damn it, you just had to come and ruin the party for everybody. You know, especially when you're holding on to the same contenders for three months straight. Uh, something like that being pushed to February also – allows for us to have uh, something else to look forward to in February, along with Annihilation. So, we'll see. And it opens the same day as Black Panther. So you got Clint Eastwood and oh, Black Panther shit. on the same day. That'll be fun. I can't wait for Black Panther. I Okay, I'm going to say it now. I think Black Panther is going to be um, the first comic book film ever to get nominated for costume design. And I think there's a world where for one of its texts, be it makeup, costume design, production design... It becomes the first Marvel film to win an Oscar. I mean, isn't Thor Ragnarok still in contention for that? Yes, with its good reviews, it could. But I, th- I predicted it for a long time. I don't think it is ultimately going to get nominated for any tech categories. But we'll see. I mean, that would be cool if we got two Marvels for costumes. But like the costumes of Black Panther, even more. Just whew. yeah. All right. Um, Sony Pictures Classics tried to get Annette Bening a, uh, a win this year, and it looks like that won't pan out because film sc- stars don't die in Liverpool. Kind of underwhelmed. They're tr- trying again with The Seagull, a film Michael Schwartz is excited about, that uh, also stars Saoirse Ronan and Elizabeth Moss and Corey Stoll. Who's the, the playwright who's writing this? Well, it's funny. The Seagull is obviously a play by Chekhov. It's a classic. But right, right, but it's adapted by... Yeah, it's adapted by Stephen Karam, who won a Tony for The Humans on Broadway last year, which was this incredible play, uh, got a ton of acclaim, and it's being directed by another Broadway guy, Michael Mayer, who did like Hedwig and the Angry Inch, a few other things, plays and musicals. So it's always a gamble when you see these Broadway people going to do film, 
But if the performances are good enough, that might be enough. Okay. Uh, then we also have Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu. He's going to win his fifth Oscar. Retire. You've hit the height of your career. Like, what else are you going to do at this point? He's getting the first special achievement award in 22 years for creating a virtual reality experience called Carne y Arena. So, I haven't seen this. I don't know if any of you guys have, but it's it's cool that they're bringing back the Special Achievement Award because they used to hand those out all the time back in the 70s and 80s and early 90s. So, we'll see where that goes, but five Oscars. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but it sounds like it's kind of like an immersive um, immigrant experience type of thing. So, it's supposed to make you feel kind of uh, some of the rawness of that experience. So, sounds like it could be interesting. Can, can I ask a, a question, too? Is th- This means he's going to be at the ceremony, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Can anyone see a world where, for Best Director, they have Alejandro and um, Alfonso Coron come out to present Best Director, and they try to set it up like Guillermo's going to get it from his two friends, and he doesn't? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. We thought that might happen with Scorsese back in 06. It you is know. so risky when they do something like that. Like... Oh my god, it, it it scares the crap out of me sometimes when they do that sort of thing. Like, didn't they have uh, Angelina Jolie and Sidney Poitier? Yeah, oh. director in 2013 because it would have been the first best, uh, the first black director winner. And then it's like, oh, yeah. no. <laughs> but that was silly that they did it anyway because it was sort of a foregone conclusion that Alfonso was going to win. Yeah. So I, I really hope that they don't do something like that, although it does lead me to wonder, you know, seeing AIG, uh, AGI rather, get another Oscar um, if and when Guillermo is going to get his due and join the club. I don't know if they're going to do it on the actual telecast because the last time they gave one out was 1995 for Toy Story. And since then, we have the SciTech Awards and the Governor's Awards. Mm, yeah, but this is a separate... Ent- they'll, trust me, they'll give this on, on air. This will happen really? on screen. Yeah. This isn't part of the Governor's Awards or the SciTech Awards. This is a single category. You know, it's it's a big move when they announce one of those. No, this will be on TV. I'd be shocked. And the Toy Story was before they had animated as a category, kind of led into that. And then, um, obviously, now it'll be interesting to see if this turns into some sort of virtual reality category, maybe, as part of the tech um, portion of the awards. Who knows? Yeah. All right. So James Mangold is looking into making and probably will make as his not next film but the film after that an x-23 spinoff from logan so he did a hell of a job with logan and daphne keen impressed the hell out of both matt and i so i i'm interested to see where that goes even though it would be weird having a wolverine movie without hugh jackman I, I think they need to let this series go for a little bit. I think Logan ended on such a perfect note that I'm not ready to go back to this world right away. I, at least they're not saying Hugh Jackman returns for X-23. Oh, my God. <laughs> He'll return only if he could sing. <laughs> oh, God, that'd be interesting. I would, I would see a singing Wolverine movie. Logan the Musical. Actually, it sounds like a good idea. Miguel Sapochnik, who any Game of Thrones fan gets a little uh, chill down their spine at the very mention of his name. So he's coming back for, obviously, probably three episodes even for the final season of Game of Thrones. Maybe two. 
Or I guess he's only doing two episodes. But still, he's doing a lot of this season. But presumably immediately after, in between there, he's teaming up with Tom Hanks for a sci-fi film about a, I think, a robot who builds an android dog. It's an exploration about what it means to be human. I mean, after his work in So it's chappy? Yeah, kind of, yeah. The only good thing to Thrones, come of this is that I know that Tom Hanks watches Game of Thrones now. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I'm interested to see, you know, anything Sapochnik does. You know, obviously he proved he's got an incredible visual eye in Thrones and had a nice way of executing ideas that didn't necessarily work well on paper. If you've heard anything about DGA and Emmy winner. Yeah, and if you've heard anything about the behind the scenes of Battle of the Bastards, it should have been a disaster, but he pulled it off spectacularly. Uh, the only thing I will say is we forget he's directed features before, and they weren't necessarily that good. No. Like, Repo Men was pretty eh. Yeah, that was bad. You know, so he's he's come a long way since then, but I'm not going to say, oh, look out for Sapochnik at uh, the 2019 Oscars or something, because I don't think that's going to happen. But that is pretty much it for news this week. One final question from a fan before we go. And you guys can answer this uh, pretty quickly. This comes from first-time watchers because I asked on Twitter uh, if somebody would send in a question about uh, about anything, anything Oscar-related. He asks, what is your favorite Oscar Isaac role? And then in parentheses, he writes, you were talking about Oscar Isaac, I presume. So, Deanne, favorite Oscar Isaac role? Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to have to go with um, A Most Violent Year. Nice. Channeling his inner Pacino in that one. Right. I, I, I know it's a little bit of an underrated film, I think, and I thought he was great. Will. Oh, this is totally inside Lewin Davis. He's incredible in that. Michael. Suburban. No, I'm just kidding. It's inside Lewin Davis. God, a part of me just wants to just say drive because, you know, to just be different. But... I can't, so I too will say Inside Lewin Davis, and I will toe the line. <laughs> to go back to my initial answer of Suburbicon, let me just say, he's only in the movie for two scenes, yet he's being billed as a lead character. Oh, um, one of my friends, JD, who saw the film, said that it's one of the worst films of the year, and it is so horrifically bad, but the scenes where Oscar Isaac comes on screen makes it almost worth the price of admission alone. I don't know if I'd go that far, but he, he's good. He. He sort of gives it some much-needed spice. You know as what? He tends to do. I like him in Ex Machina. Yeah, he. I wish he'd gotten nominated for Ex Machina. He's great in that. Yeah, I, 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 I want to just say for the record that I, yes, yes, I, I was gonna go on a long spiel about why I think he deserved more recognition for that, but I'll just, uh, we, we gotta go. So yes, I will just say that. <laughs> Anyone have any final thoughts on anything that they want to say before we go? Go see a movie because they're all tanking. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We want to keep doing this. Keep us employed. Uh, if you're listening to this past November 1st, uh, you may or may not know that B&H is – not B&H. What am I saying? Barnes & Nobles, Jesus, is running a half-off Criterion Collection Blu-ray sale. So for those movie lovers out there, definitely be on the lookout for that. I know I will be. Deanne? Yes, me too. Oh, you're, no. looking, for my, what, you're looking for my final thoughts? Final thoughts on anything. You know, well, I, I was thinking like a thank you maybe was in order. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, 
Um, yes, thank you for your service. And, um, <laughs> um, I have a confession that I can share, which is that I caught up on a couple of major holes in my Oscar history while I was on a plane. Um, I watched Silence and Hacksaw Ridge back to back, and it was a lot of Andrew Garfield, and it was a lot. I'm just going to say it was a long five hours, and I came off that flight a different person. Jesus, yeah. Um, emotionally touched by God, I'm sure. Right. Um, which which one did you watch first? Uh, I started with Silence. Wow. Jesus. <laughs> and uh, which film did you like the most? I like Silence better than Hacksaw Ridge. Woo, yeah. And uh, does that mean also you like his performance in Silence more? or? Yes. Yeah. I think, I Will, I don't remember, but I think you and I uh, had some hesitations with Andrew Garfield, especially in the first act of Hacksaw Ridge. Oh, yeah. Like that yeah, scene I, where he goes out of date with her and he's just so he, awkward. It's like two movies. It's yeah. so weird. I'm having PTSD to his accent work from last year in both movies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Try it back to back. But I think history will look back and I, I really do believe that they'll say, why, why was he nominated for this and not this? You know what I mean? Well, you know what? If anyone suffered that same Andrew Garfield accent PTSD, and if you're in the New York area next spring, I urge you to go see the revival of Angels in America. I was able to catch the simulcast from London. He's one of the leads, and he is absolutely incredible. It might be the best performance of his career. Wow. So, Matt, you're in New York. Buy a ticket. The show's only eight hours. <laughs> you can see it in two, on two different days or straight through. Your choice. But you got eight hours of Andrew Garfield. I never knew I wanted eight hours of Andrew Garfield. Oh, well, Jesus. Go. Treat yourself. Well, I'm going to see Breathe today. So that'll just round it all uh-huh. out. Yep. There you go. I uh, hope you like it. Deanne, where can we find you on Twitter? You can find me at TweedledeeD33. That is D E E D E E 33. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Michael Schwartz. As always, you can find me on Twitter at MikeMovie. And Will Mavity. You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 62 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable. As you heard before, we will read your review here on the air. Thank you so much to all of our listeners who send in their questions. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we will see you all next time. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.